0: Hey, this is Julie St. George with the Perfect Property Podcast. Today's episode is focused on flood education, flood insurance, and flood mitigation. What to do if you are living, buying, or selling a house in a flood zone, plus other tips that might be helpful. Everyone, we're coming to you remotely because of COVID. We're still recording remotely, and I have a fantastic guest today through Zoom. His name is Chris Green. He is the flood insurance guru. And this guy really is a guru about water, floods, and mitigation and insurance. Anything you need to know, he is somebody you could certainly ask. He has a master's degree in emergency management and has worked in flood zones all across the country and up and down the Mississippi River and all along the coast. Hey, Chris. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, What is a flood zone?
1: Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Uh, Well, everything is a flood zone. It just (laughs) determines how much water it takes to get to you.
0: All right. Good to hear, but not so good to hear. There's different ratings of flood zones, and the ones we usually caution them about is AE flood zone. So tell us a little bit about an AE flood zone and why that is different and what we need to do if we're buying a house in an AE flood zone.
1: Yeah. So an AE flood zone, some people may hear people call it a hundred-year flood zone, or some people, if you're a mortgage company... You may hear the word special flood hazard area. So normally when you hear special flood hazard area, that means it's going to be required. So whether you have AE and you have A in the Atlanta area, those are generally your most popular. You have things like V and VE, but those are more on the coast. So AE is really actually, it's your highest risk flood zone when it comes to non-coastal areas. Uh, it's, it's and it's a hundred year uh, flood zone. And what that just means one in every hundred chances within a given year, it means a property could possibly flood. Um, So that's exactly what AE means. Um, Yes, it is the highest risk. The good thing about AE compared to A, though, is AE has a base flood elevation. So you at least know how to compare something. With most of A, there's not a base flood elevation. So it can be a little bit harder to kind of forecast the risk there.
0: All right, Chris, so we have two types of flood insurances that you mentioned AE is going to require them. We could talk about NFIP and then private insurance. Tell us a little bit about both.
1: Well, the NFIP is really the original flood insurance program. It's what most people call the federal flood insurance program. It's honestly what the majority of people think the only option available is. Uh, now, FEMA, who runs the National Flood Insurance Program, recently released a new program called Risk Rating 2.0. This is basically the National Flood Insurance Program coming into the 21st century. You know, the real major last update for this program is 1968. Wow. So okay. Now, so they
0: needed an update. It was time.
1: They did. It was time. But now flood zones no longer determine flood rates for the National Flood Insurance Program. Instead, what determines these rates now is something that we call the fingerprint of flood insurance. So it looks at things like replacement cost of a property, a uh, distance to water, the type of flooding that occurs in an area, flooding frequency, and of course, you know, elevation. So those things are all factored in to determine the rate on a property. When they're determining it now, so it's, uh, replacement costs actually, is what we're seeing right now is causing a big deal on the commercial side for commercial buildings, where you may see premium differences of two, three and four thousand dollars right now if you have a very large commercial building. So traditionally with the National flood insurance program, if you had two buildings side by side and they were two different values, whatever coverage you put in it, you were generally going to get the same rate if they had the same kind of risk. But well, that's not the case anymore. That's why we call it the fingerprint of flood insurance now. It's each structure is almost like a fingerprint or a social security number for an individual. It's going to be looked at uniquely. So that's the National Flood Insurance Program.
0: And tell us a little bit about private flood insurance and why that's different.
1: So private flood insurance, like you hear the National Flood Insurance Program, it's backed by the government. Private flood insurance is backed by different private companies. That's it's important to understand that not all private options are the same. You know, there's 20, 30 different options out there. You know, even when you see the same, what's called reinsure on your policy and that's ultimately the company that pays out the claim, there's still different contracts. There's about 500 different contracts they give out. So all these rates can be different. How claims are handled can be different. The big thing with private, though, is the National Flood Insurance Program on Residential Properties only goes to 250000 Commercial, 500000 Private can go much higher than that. Private can provide things like additional living expenses that the National Flood Insurance Program does not provide. And what this means is if your property floods and it's deemed not to be safe, you can't stay in it. Additional living expenses will pay a certain amount for you to stay in a hotel, or rent an apartment, depending on how much coverage you have on there. Traditionally, the National Flood Insurance Program on your personal property, and we're talking about things like furniture, clothing, you don't generally have replacement costs on those things. Private flood insurance can provide that. Um, so there can be some big differences. Now, it's key to understand this, though. As of right now, FHA loans only accept FEMA, or the National Flood Insurance Program. Now, all these other loan types are accepting private flood insurance. So it's really important that people look and understand, what type of loan do I have on a property or what type of loan am I getting? Checking with the mortgage company, hey, will you accept this policy? Because what we find out is people get two days before closing, come to find out it's not acceptable because the mortgage company didn't know maybe they are doing a private policy. They didn't know the impacts of FHA and all these different moving parts
0: which is important for realtors to know so they can help guide their clients and direct them to professionals that can give them the right answers. One of my questions was, if a buyer is considering purchasing in a flood zone, how that loan type really does impact their flood insurance and what their options are.
1: Yes, it absolutely does. But the other thing is too, is if they were to have a claim down the road, it could be if they go through private, that private just has the non-renew, and now they have to go back to the National Flood Insurance Program. So that's why when we look, when we talk to a lot of people we say, "Hey, I'm just going to file this thousand-dollar claim." Well, let's take a look at this year two, year three, year four, year five, and see if that thousand-dollar claim is really going to cost you ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars. Then you can decide. That way, you understand the long-term, the short-term impacts. And so, those are a lot of conversations we're having right now it's about all the flooding from 2021 across the whole country, Georgia, particularly in Georgia, mm-hmm. in parts of Atlanta and North Georgia. They got mm-hmm. hit really hard.
0: Yeah. How can a flood zone on my property impact the profitability or the saleability of my property?
1: Well, if you've got two properties side by side, and you've got one that's going to be in that special flood hazard area and another one that's not, that could be a big difference. Maybe a customer doesn't want to pay that extra. Let's just say you make it easy, $100 a month for flood insurance. when the house over here, doesn't require it. Now, all of a sudden, maybe they can get more house for their money. Now, it's also important to understand that flood zones don't have the straight line Uh, Typically, a lot of them are drawn like a the snake. They're very windy. You know, one property might be in there, but my next-door neighbor's not. Mm-hmm. It's also important to understand that you can challenge flood zones. We help people with that every day. You can actually get some of these flood zones changed from a high-risk flood zone to a non-required, or what some people call a low-risk flood zone, uh, when you're going from what's called a flood zone A to a flood zone X. Now, there are special requirements that FEMA has that we take a look at to see if it would qualify. But we help people with that all day. But we also explain that when you do this, it doesn't really mean your risk is changing. It just means the requirement is changing.
0: So it's important to know that you can sometimes change your flood zone. But what is that process? Tell us a little bit about the letter of map amendment.
1: The letter of map amendment is when basically when you go to FEMA and say, hey, I feel that I'm in the wrong flood zone. FEMA looks at these documents. One of the main things it looks at typically is an elevation certificate. And what they're looking for in that elevation certificate is that things like the lowest adjacent grade on your property, highest adjacent grade, any kind of servicing equipment, things like that are above what's called the base flood elevation. Base flood elevation is kind of that mark that FEMA sets where they think the flooding can come to. So When you're in an AE flood zone, you're everybody's generally going to have what's called a base flood elevation. And so that's kind of your measuring point.
0: And not all sellers have flood certificates. It's something that we encourage our clients to get because A, it'll help lower the insurance in some cases, could lower the insurance premium. But B, if you're going to sell your house, you want to have all of that information for the buyer ahead of time. So tell us about getting a flood or an elevation certificate. And do you need one?
1: They're no longer required with the new federal flood insurance program, uh, but you have two options there. You can use FEMA's data that they're calculating things or you can get an elevation certificate. Now, at the end of the day, we always recommend an elevation certificate because someone's actually putting eyes on that property. End of the day, that's still going to be the most accurate thing. But the great news of their program is they're no longer requiring it. But let's just say they didn't require it, and you're closing a home, and you decide to get one a few months later, and it did lower the rate, you can actually go back to the National flood Insurance Program, and they will prorate some fees based on that.
0: That is excellent. Tell people how much it costs to get an elevation certificate and what it's like going through that process.
1: Well, typically any surveyor can do it. You can even order through a website. Now, the price range really depends when you're talking about across the country. Uh, what I tell people, and this may be even on the high end, is around $800 to $1,000. Now, we've seen some $400. Uh, we just try to set that at a higher level of, hey, just in case, it's really high. And it can be like when you get in the metro areas, you know, things start to get a little more expensive. But so that $800 to $1,000 range may be a, a good range to go off of. But in parts of Alabama, parts of North Georgia, we've seen $400 for have a surveyor do one.
0: Right. And it depends on the size of the property and the and the elevation accessibility, right? So sometimes you have a big cliff on the side of your house and it leads down to some water, but your house necessarily isn't in the flood area. Um, but getting that flood certificate
1: is going to cost a little bit more just for accessibility. And when FEMA's looking at this, originally, they're looking at the entire parcel they did in the old program. So many times, you would have a house. We had one in Alabama that had set 80 feet above the baseline elevation, but nobody ever argued it. Uh-huh. And we helped the customer argue it and win, but no one knew to ever look at that because FEMA looked at the entire parcel. Now, with their new program, they're getting things much closer down with data to the actual structure. And we're seeing some more accurate things, for, but we're not seeing completely accurate yet. So it's important for people to understand that. like, They may have a high-risk flood zone on their property, and they may be required to buy the flood insurance to get through closing, but they very well may be able to fight it knowing how far it's away.
0: So you're, it's interesting that you're talking about FEMA. So let's talk about the flood maps, how often they're changed, who changes them, and who is in charge of saying, hey, your house is in a flood zone.
1: So the, let's take away one of the myths here. that are people mm-hmm. always like, well, I'm mad at my mortgage company. because They tell me I'm in a flood zone. <laughs> It's important to understand the mortgage company does not have any control for this. Exactly. federally-backed program, and they have to follow federal law since they're handing out federal money in many situations. Uh-huh. So the National Flood Insurance Program and FEMA work for the local community when they're updating flood maps. They like to update these every five years, but it's very difficult to do that because of the amount of maps that need to be updated. Uh, they go back and forth with the community to agree on one. Um, There was one for Hurricane Harvey. They had gone back and forth for more than than 10 years. And so when Hurricane Harvey hit, a lot of those people should have been required to have flood insurance, but the maps had not been updated yet. Mm. Now, it's also important to understand when a map is updated, you have something called a newly mapped rate. This is a different rate than your standard flood insurance rate through the National Flood Insurance Program. But the first year, they give you special rating if you're going from a low-risk flood zone to a high-risk flood zone.
0: If a map is changed, can my property all of a sudden be zoned into a flood zone? Yes. Good to know. What do we do in that case?
1: In that case, what we do is we take a look at when this flood map changed, when they came and looked at these things. We look at that elevation certificate. Because what happens when the flood map changes, it means that FEMA comes in and changes the base flood elevation for the area, basically. So now they determine that your property maybe is below this area. So that's when going and getting an elevation certificate could very well benefit you. Now, it's important to understand that everyone wants to go ahead and spend all this money on elevation certificates. And what we always tell them is, like, hold off on that. If you've got a survey, a recent survey that shows these numbers, we can do a pretty good job of looking at it to see if the elevation certificate is going to be worth the money or not, or if it's going to be a complete waste of money.
0: That's good to know. Tell us a little bit about what you and your company
1: does. So I run the Flood Insurance Guru. We are a flood education and flood insurance company. Uh, recently, I just finished traveling the country doing 1,000 flood education videos in 1,000 days, and we teach people how to what their flood risk is, how to understand it, what the flood options are, and then if a flood does occur, we walk people through how to get disaster assistance, how to apply for SBA disaster loans, and hopefully how to mitigate their properties where flooding never happens on them. Excellent. What do I
0: do or what are my options if I own a pool and it floods?
1: Now, with pools, there are some private companies that do offer some coverage on pools. But generally, the National Flood Insurance Program is not going to offer coverage on a pool. Um, so it's important to understand that. But if you're building a house with a pool, in some situations, depending on the floodplain management guidelines in the area, they will make you build that pool above what's called the base flood elevation. Because a pool can actually cause a flood, which is what a lot of people don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, we've actually had some claims in Texas pay out on this where a pool busted, something busted, it broke, and it flooded two properties, which resulted in a flood claim being paid out.
0: Mm. Interesting. What happened in that case?
1: And this particular case in Texas, it was through a private company, and the private company actually paid out because generally for flood insurance to pay out, two uh, one of two conditions has to exist, either two properties or two acres. Now, properties could be, it's got to be at least your structure. And maybe something as simple as the city street, but it's gotta be your structure that's actually impacted at a minimum. And so the two acres really came from people who had farmland out mid in the Midwest. Um, it's really more about the two properties now. The two properties have to be impacted in that situation. It's area that's normally dry land is inundated with water, which meets the definition in many situations with a pool.
0: How often do you get the question, oh my gosh, what do I do now? What I want to know is the oh shit moment that people call you with? Like, what is the oh shit moment? Like, is it after they have flooded or is it before? So when, when should we do something about this? And, and how often do you get the, the oh shit calls?
1: <laughs> Many times it's before, hey, my flood map just changed. I just got this letter that I got to have flood insurance now. What do I do? And then the other one is, hey, I just have all this water in my house. What do I do? And so the first thing we do is we work with them to get, you know, water restoration specialists out there. Hey, let's start looking at the damage. Let's start communicating with the company. Let's see if it makes sense to file a claim. You know, let's make sure to minimize some of these things so mold doesn't develop. Because in most situations, mold's not covered by flood insurance. Then it's, hey, uh, I got all this water in my basement. Unfortunately, this is the biggest one we get. I got all this water in my basement. How to replace all these things. And 90% of the time, things are generally not covered in a basement, like finished flooring, TVs, these kind of things. Coverage in basements are very limited, but unfortunately, what we find out when most people get to us, they're completely unaware about that because no one's educated them on that. And
0: that's where we come in. Should you buy a house or a property in a flood zone?
1: Yes. There you go. You've heard it here.
0: Yes, you can buy a house in a flood zone. Yes. What is the flood zone rating that we need to worry about here in Atlanta?
1: The ones you want to look for, what's called flood zone A and A, this is where it's going to be required. But what I tell people, I say, look, uh, even if it's an A or AE, we can still help minimize the risk. We can still look at the risk. And you know, there's some great properties that are in special flood hazard areas uh-huh. that have never flooded before because of mitigation that's been done to them. Then there are some that have flooded numerous times. And this is where we really try to help protect people. Because currently, because of privacy laws and the federal government, the only people that can get a hold of flood losses on a property that have been paid up to the National Flood Insurance Program are the current property owners. And so we always tell people when they're purchasing a house, ask for that. It could take them maybe a couple of weeks to get it. We always tell people when they list their house, people are going to be asking for this, have this, especially in a disclosure state like, Mm -hmm. you know, Texas and some other states who are doing a really good job of helping protect buyers through all these updates to disclosures.
0: Absolutely. What are the top five things you want realtors to know about working with clients that may be purchasing or selling a house in a flood zone?
1: Two words, due diligence. Make sure they have everything in that 10-day period. So if they don't feel comfortable, they can walk away. You know, don't wait till the due diligence is gone. And now they don't have any recourse there. So that's why we tell people, I say, if you haven't reached out to whoever, have reach out to us. Get all this information together, really within the first five days. So just like an inspection. Mm -hmm. Treat flood zones just like inspections.
0: Okay. So number I guess that was number two, right? So uh, due diligence and number two is um, get it done in the first five
1: days. I'd say that's our recommendation, the first five days, because that gives you a few days to maybe go back and forth with the buyer to make a decision, unless you extend that due diligence.
0: And 10 days due diligence is a thing of the past, my friend. Right now in this market, we are doing zero to three, maybe five days due diligence. So this is something that agents and realtors really need to know about in advance if we're going to yep. show a property in a flood zone, in an A or an AE flood zone, so
1: that we know what to expect walking through the door the first time. Yep. And we have people reach out to us all the time. Hey, I'm looking at this house tonight. And so what we, our goal is we try to have the information in front of them when they make the offer.
0: Excellent. That's really good advice. How do people reach you?
1: It's easy. You can visit our website, floodinsuranceguru.com. Uh, we've got our information on there. You can check out our YouTube channel, Flood Insurance Guru. Same thing with the podcast, all of our educational stuff, it's all there. Uh, We walk you through how to buy, how homes in the flood zone, what to look for when you're buying or selling in these areas. You know, we even have the list on there for realtors, mortgage companies, insurance agents, and property owners.
0: Excellent. Another thing you want a realtor or a real estate agent to know is
1: what I want them to know is minimize your EO exposure by making sure you have the right flood zone on your listings
0: and also where to find information about the flood zone before you even go into the property.
1: Yes, you can simply go to our website and there's a tab called Find My Zone and you can put the address in and we even walk you through what each color on the flood map means. That's really helpful.
0: Tell us what you would counsel investors who are buying properties with cash. Tell us about that.
1: The first thing I would recommend them doing is doing a flood cert, determining what the flood zone is. And if they see it's in a special flood hazard area, they know that when they go to flip it you know, and improve it, that flood insurance is generally going to be required if somebody's doing a loan. But also, if they improve more than 50% of the current market value of the home, it's now considered to be substantially improved property, which means it could follow different guidelines than before when it comes to flood insurance ratings. And that'll cut into investors' profitability costs, right? Yes, absolutely it will.
0: Chris, tell us the difference between a natural disaster flood where uh, maybe a lake or a stream or a river starts to flood a house versus an interior flood where it's a pipe burst or something of that nature.
1: Generally, a pipe burst, if you have the right coverage in place, it's going to fall under home ins- homeowner's insurance, which normally will be like water backup or some kind of similar coverage like that. The key with flood is it has to inundate the property. That means it has to come from outside the property, and it generally can't be groundwater. It's got to be surface water. That means water actually had to enter the building in order for it to be covered under flood.
0: Chris, tell us who needs flood insurance and who doesn't need flood insurance. Everyone needs flood insurance. There you go. Say it loud and proud. Who needs flood insurance?
1: Everyone needs it.
0: And tell us why.
1: Like I said, especially the last year has shown us, it doesn't matter if you live on a hill, 13 inches of rain in four hours, there's not a whole lot of things that's not going to flood. Especially what we're just seeing going on every day. Now, most people are like, well, someone told me I didn't need flood insurance because it wasn't required. And that's what we try to teach people. Let's help you understand the difference between need it and want it.
0: The average price point, how much can someone expect to pay for flood insurance if they're not in a special flood zone?
1: Well, the thing with the National Flood Insurance Program, with their new program, they took away what was called preferred zone. So you're in that low-risk zone, minimum zone, flood zone X. You may have only had a rate of five or $600 a year. Now, you're still seeing a lot of that on the private side. But FEMA's not looking at that anymore. They're looking at all those different factors we talked about before with the fingerprint of flood insurance. So on the private side, you very well may still be able to get a five or $600 rate per year. We've seen some as low as 400
0: Interesting. We do see a lot of properties here in Atlanta that flood on a regular basis, and we see some that surprise people and they catch them off guard. So having that extra insurance policy on hand, even if it's a couple hundred dollars a year, would really make a big difference to a lot of folks.
1: There's something else you also should really understand about flood claims, unlike maybe a home insurance claim. A flood claim actually stays on the life of the property forever.
0: Oh, interesting. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: So that can have a major impact. So that's why we tell people you don't want to file a flood claim unless you absolutely have to, because in the private market, if you've ever had a flood claim with some companies, they won't do a policy. Some have a condition of five years or less. Now, with the National Flood Insurance Program, uh, they will do it. Uh, they will, are probably going to surcharge you. Uh, they have something called the severe repetitive loss list. This is properties that have had three or four more uh, flood insurance claims within a 10-year period. Uh, we deal a lot with those. Those have a special rating program. So when you're going through that flood claim process, uh, if someone uh, just tells you, here, call FEMA file claim, you want to be very cautious about that because you don't know what other claims have been filed on it in the last 10 years. You want to know the long-term and the short-term impacts, and that's really uh, what we try to do for people here.
0: How do we find out if a house has had a flood claim
1: before? Well, unfortunately, the private side, there's so many different private companies, they don't currently report to Central Database. But if you have a National Flood Insurance Program policy or you think claims have been paid out through that and you're the property owner, you can call FEMA and they'll send you a list.
0: You have a really interesting background, Chris. Tell us why you got into flood insurance and how, and why you wanted to help people.
1: Well, my first interaction with water was at the age of uh, nine years old, when my dad was actually pulled out of a company vehicle that was flooded during the Great Flood in Augusta, Georgia. Uh, I got into flood actually by a complete accident. I was supposed to do weapons of mass destruction, work in the Middle East, and Hurricane Katrina hit the day I started my master's degree. So I actually studied Hurricane Katrina in every flood along the Mississippi for two years. So I actually have my master's degree in emergency management with a focus on flood mitigation. But 10 years ago, I bought a house in a high-risk flood zone, and the closing fell apart two weeks before closing. The lender wasn't sure what to do. The realtor wasn't sure what to do. The insurance company I was dealing with didn't know what to do. I came in and showed them a rule called date of compliance, where I was able to prove that the house was built the code, and I was able to take the $3,000 rate they were going to give me and turn it into a $350 rate. And since then, we've taken that property from a high-risk flood zone to a low-risk flood zone where it's no longer required.
0: That is excellent news. So it is possible, folks. It is definitely possible to lower the premiums and to even get your house out of the flood zone. Did you know that going into it, or was this all a learning experience for you?
1: It's been all a bit of a learning experience. But I knew how we could do a flood zone change. But I knew that this property just wasn't adding up with the location of water, how it was sitting. Something that didn't make sense there. But no one else was really sure what to do. And that's how we showed them that letter of map amendment process when I went to sell my house.
0: Very interesting. And you know folks get really scared and sometimes they won't look at houses in flood zones but think about everyone who lives in Florida or along the coast just about every property is in a flood zone so I think it really depends on where you live and what you're accustomed to and what it's going to cost in the in the long run is it going to cost premiums or is it going to cost profitability on the sale But it's also quality of life. And and are you living in a great house that maybe has a little bit of a premium, but that you got at a discount, right? So there's a lot of things to to weigh the pros and cons of being in flood zones, as long as you're aware and know and have the education to move forward confidently. Yes, ma'am. Awesome.
1: Policy assumptions are still available with the National Flood Insurance Program. And that's where you transfer from one policy from the current homeowner to the new homeowner. Um, That's something we always tell people to look for. Ask if there's a current flood policy on the property and see if you can do what's called a policy assumption because it does still currently guarantee that rate with the National Flood Insurance Program. That's really good to hear.
0: So in conclusion, there is a lot to know about flood zones, but Chris Green is here, the flood insurance guru. He is here to help, here to educate, and here to guide you through the process of living, working, and selling and buying in a flood zone. Thank you so much, Chris. We really enjoyed you.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. Have a great
1: day. You too.
0: has been the perfect property podcast by julie st george for more information shoot me an email julie j u l i at the shoot me a text or give me a call 404-668-8975 or check us out on the web the look for us on instagram it's julie st george and on facebook the perfect property The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the host and guest only. They are not the views and opinions of Keller Williams Realty International, Keller Williams Heart of Atlanta Group, or Keller Williams Realty In Town Atlanta. Equal housing opportunity.